will be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And while you're turning there, let me remind you that 1 Peter is a letter written by the ancient missionary and apostle extraordinaire Peter, and he is seeking to shepherd this group of Christians that have been scattered because of persecution from afar. They are facing a variety of spiritual and practical obstacles and difficulties, and he wants to help them as best he can. And certainly 2,000 years later, he is still helping us as well. Let me go ahead and pray for the Holy Spirit's help, and we'll dig into these verses today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us. We ask that we'd be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name, amen. Well, this passage that we have before us today is predominantly addressed to wives. In fact, the first six of the seven verses will deal with wives directly. And then husbands, we get in on the action at the end in verse 7, though I will have plenty to say to us along the way as well. And this is one of those passages that sadly throughout church history, it has been misused in some ways uh, from both sides of the fence. Sometimes people will talk about this issue, won't say enough. Other times people talk about this issue, say too much, and go beyond the scope of what the Bible is talking about. And certainly that is not my goal today, but quite the opposite, to help us unpack what it is that the Bible has to say about submission in the home. Now, where is Peter coming from with this? Well, if you've been along for the ride in the past couple of weeks, you know that he is talking about this concept in a variety of ways. He's talked first about submission to the government, to the authorities that are over us. Then he got into submission into the work in the workplace. And now he's talking about submission in the home. And you can see this right off the surface of the text like you could in the weeks previous. Let's begin in verse 1. Likewise, wives, so same idea applied to wives, <clears throat> be subject to your own husbands so that if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So first principle right off the surface of the text, wives submit to your husbands. If your husband is an unbeliever, God might even use your exemplary conduct to lead your husband to Christ. So clear command. It's actually the same word that has been used in the previous weeks. It is hupotasso, which literally means to put oneself under. And what he's talking about here is for a Christian wife to put herself under the leadership of her husband. But just like all the other commands that we've seen in the previous weeks, it comes with a natural governor, a natural limitation. And the limitation here would be, Wives are to follow the leadership of their husbands until they ask them to do something illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical. Illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical. So, for example, this is a little tongue-in-cheek, but let's say a husband and a wife, they're having a conversation, and it goes something like this. Honey, I've got this great plan. We're going to rob the First National Bank downtown, and I need you to drive the getaway van. And you know what the Bible says, you got to follow my leadership. Well, at that moment, hopefully you'd never have that conversation. But if you did, the wife has both biblical and legal grounds to step up and say, hey, 
we're not going to do this because he's trying to lead her in a direction that is illegal, immoral, unethical, and unbiblical. So this command, all the other commands we've seen over the past few weeks, they have a natural limitation to them, and then many, many good ways to flourish within what the command says. Now, it's also important to understand the scope of the command here as well. Look back in your text. It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So this is not a all women everywhere, submit to all men everywhere kind of command. This uh, doesn't have any bearing on the workplace. It is very focused in what it is saying here, that when a husband and wife come together in marriage, that the dynamics are created in such a way there that God has a game plan for that home, that marriage to flourish. He doesn't want there to be this constant power struggle when everybody's shouting and nobody's able to get along. We can't get anything done for the family. So he institutes some roles, a, a way that this should work, just like you have any other uh, team, let's say basketball, for example. You have a point guard, you have power forwards, you have a center, different people on that uh, team, on the court at the same time, all able to make plays. They're all equal, but they have unique and distinct roles. And so the way God has set up the home here is that the husband should lead and love and sacrifice for his family like Jesus, and the wife is to follow his loving leadership, to be his greatest cheerleader, to be his, his helper, his helpmate, as we learn in the book of Genesis. And it's important to note that in the giving of this command, it truly is for human flourishing and for the good of that home. It's also interesting to note here that there is a true equality that exists between husbands and wives. You, you see this throughout the scripture, and he's actually going to make that clear here toward the end of the passage. But this is not in any way that the husband is better and superior and looks down at the woman and tells her what to do with a grumpy look on his face. But they're equals. And God has set this up in such a way where the husband leads, leads, the wife follows, and flourishing happens as best it can. One illustration I came across years ago that has kind of helped me understand this and to try to explain it, and also the way we kind of think about it in our home, could be described like this. It's during the day and at the end of the day. During the day and at the end of the day. So case, case in point here, let's say you have some decision that has to be made within the family. And there's 10,000 of these. You can apply this to almost anything. So when, when we have to get into something as a family, the way it goes at our house is there's a lot of discussion. Laurieann and I back and forth, I ask her, hey, what do you think about this? You have a perspective, you have gifts, you have talents. Uh, help me see what I don't see. So during the day, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of prayer, a lot of back and forth and so on, and I value her opinion. And when we are working at our best, we make good, sound, joint decisions. All of that is happening during the proverbial day. <clears throat> and then at the end of the day, uh, being the one charged with the leadership of our home, then I move forward based on what we've talked about, and we make uh, the decision that needs to be, to be made. And I would say beyond nine times out of 10, 
we are on the same page. We are moving together toward whatever decision has to be made. Uh, but there have been a few situations over the years where maybe we don't see exactly eye to eye, but I know where she's coming from. Uh, I've heard her. I understand where she's at, so on and so forth. And she says, hey, listen, I trust you. This is not maybe exactly what I would do, but I get what you're saying, and we move forward together. So during the day, lots of discussion, lots of prayer, lots of working on this together, and at the end of the day, the husband has to lead and move forward together. So I hope that's helpful. I hope that makes sense. And there are so many benefits to operating your family in the biblical framework. And Peter actually goes to highlight one of those in just a moment. But before we go there, let me go here. Let me ask a few application questions that I hope will lead us in the right direction when coming to think about how to apply this in our own home. So wives, the text begins with you, so let me begin with you as well. How is it going following the leadership of your husband? How is it going in submitting to his leadership? Is it going well, or is it always a huge fight? Is it always a big problem? My encouragement to you would be to explore those dynamics to try to figure out what is going on there. Now, consequently, let me turn around and ask the husbands the same kind of question from a different example or from a different angle. Husbands, are you leading in such a way that creates an environment where it is easy and natural for your wife to follow your leadership? And if not, what's going on there? Is there a little bit too much domineering? Or is there what is more common in most situations I've seen, kind of an abdication of leadership? That this is hard, that this is complicated, that this is messy, that, that we don't like to be in those situations, and so we just say, whatever. Friends, husbands in particular, we want to create an environment where the wife follows our leadership and wives. My encouragement to you would be, be your husband's biggest cheerleader. Let him know you are praying for him, you support him, you encourage him, you will follow him, not off a bridge, but that he knows that you're with him, that you're for him, and that you guys are on the same team together. And listen, if you're both pursuing Jesus and you both walk into it with whatever you have to work on and decide on with that kind of posture of humility and grace and gospel-infused for you-ness toward one another, I, I, I don't think this is going to be a major problem for most families. This is the kind of thing that the Lord will help, I think, in an unusual way if we simply put ourselves in a place to ask for it and to walk in the kind of power that He would give us. So, now let's talk about some of these benefits. There are plenty. Your kids grow up without a lot of screaming and fighting and throwing things all the time. It models a wonderful picture of Jesus and the church to the watching world around. And also, what he highlights here <coughs> is that it actually might even lead an unbelieving husband to Jesus. Let's look at it. 
So that, so this is a purpose, even if some do not obey the Word, that's talking about the Word of God, the Word of Christ, the Gospel, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, the situation he's describing here, he doesn't get into exact detail, but I think it's pretty obvious that this would be describing some kind of circumstance where the husband and wife are not on the same page <coughs> spiritually, that perhaps they were both unbelievers when they got married. Somehow the wife comes to Jesus, and in the midst of this, the husband is not there yet for whatever reason, and Peter is saying, listen, if you really follow this command, submit to your husband in this way that the Bible talks about, follow his leadership, you live like Jesus in front of him, who knows? The Lord might use that on the human end of things to bring your husband to Jesus. And listen, there are many examples where this has happened. Now, of course, we wouldn't seek this out on our own. The Bible talks about being uh, unequally yoked and all of that. And, you know, you, you need to marry another Christian if you're a Christian. But if you found yourself in a situation like I think he's describing here, both weren't, one becomes the, the, the wife, the Lord uses that. You get what I'm saying? The Lord does these miracles. <clears throat> There's actually a great example from church history. Uh, from the book, The Confessions of or Confessions by Augustine, and he talks about how his mother became a Christian and for years lived uh, an upright life before uh, her, her unbelieving husband, following the pattern of this passages or this passage and other passages. And then he has this quote at the end. He says, "She served her husband as her master." And did all she could to win him for you, speaking to him of you by her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. And finally, when the husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you. So what a wonderful picture of this passage coming to life so long ago. And friends, this certainly applies beyond just the husband-wife relationship, right? Because the bulk of our Christian witness will probably not simply be verbal proclamation. It will be living out the gospel in front of people who don't yet embrace it. And so, again, we, we don't save them by our behavior. But just like we talked about a few weeks ago, God uses us as advertisements, as billboards to the truthfulness of the gospel. So, particularly within the home, because that's where the text starts. But then beyond that, we need to be living exemplary lives before unbelievers in hopes that God might use that as part of what brings them to Jesus. So the couple of questions here, very simply, it would be, if you're in this situation, uh, someone who's watching this, and uh, wife, you're a, you're a Christian, your husband's not there yet, Stay the course. Follow this passage. Who knows? The Lord might use your example to bring your husband to Christ. And it happens all the time. And then beyond that, let's stay the course. Let's live uprightly with gospel integrity before our coworkers, before our neighbors, before all those people in our spheres of influence. And who knows what God might do. But now, that's not all Peter has to say to wives. Let's pick it back up here in verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, 
But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and you do not fear anything that is frightening. So, second principle, wives be more concerned about your inward appearance than your outward appearance. Now, let's unpack this. Because it is very important in this passage and in all passages to understand the grammatical and historical context into which the author is speaking. That's why when people just rip verses out of context in the Bible, they always end up someplace unhelpful because that's not how the Bible is meant to be understood. you got to get at what the author is saying and then apply that in your context, in our case, in 2021. And what was happening at this time was that people, women in particular, were obsessed with their appearance and their opulence. And this might seem crazy to you by a, a way of fashion, but women would actually do these insane braids in their hair and would braid jewels and gold into their hairstyle and then on top of that wear these crazy opulent robes to try to compete and show off uh, against the other wives around them. Uh, uh, who's the fairest in the land? Who's the richest? Who's got the most wealth? Kind of competition. And Peter is saying, listen, all of that, Christian wives don't need to be about that. that that's exactly the opposite of what the kingdom is about. This world is not your home. You don't need to be flashing all of your bling. And you need to be wise. And so don't follow this path. That's what Peter is actually saying here. He's not saying, literally, don't braid your hair, though some people have misinterpreted it as that. And then on top of that, he's not saying anything like don't wear makeup or uh, don't, don't think about what clothes you put on. He's not saying any of that. This is a question of priority and prominence. And what he's driving these ladies toward is, listen, what you do need to focus on is that part of you that's going to last forever. The inward man, so to speak. Uh, what does he call it here? He calls it the, the hidden person of the heart. And so he's saying, don't be preoccupied with your physical appearance. Give priority to your inward, to your spiritual appearance. And so cultivate those things that are going to matter in 10,000 years. Not just what style you had and whether or not you were on trend for this season or whatever, but whether or not you knew God and you loved God and you put your hope in God and you really put the focus and the emphasis where it needed to be. Does that make sense? I hope that we understand the importance of mining out what Peter is getting at here and understanding he's not just prohibiting a certain kind of behavior, He's putting people toward emphasis and priority. And he makes this even more clear in this part here when he talks about the, the holy women who hoped in God and who adorned themselves by submitting to their own husbands. So here he's connecting the dots 
from what he said before to what he is saying now. That, listen, this way of biblically ordering the home, this way of following the, the loving leadership of your husband, those are the kinds of things that, that show you are giving attention to this inward appearance, to, to the cultivation of what's going to matter in 10,000 years. And then he uses this example of Sarah uh, and her relationship with Abraham. In some ways, she was kind of the, the spiritual mother of God's people in the Old Covenant. And it's interesting that he would use her as an example because sometimes when this passage is taught, when, when we hear about a gentle and quiet spirit, immediately the mind flashes to a, a woman sitting in the corner like this. Uh, you know, she's got some doilies around and she has nothing to say. She has no opinion. She never speaks up. And that's just not the case with Sarah. In fact, if you follow her narrative, you see there were a few times uh, she got in Abraham's face and probably should have gotten in his face a bit more based on some of the decisions that he made. But the, again, the attitude of following him and following him, his, his leadership was clearly present. And so the gentle and quiet spirit that is uh, being cultivated here and being uh, uh, held up as an example here it also seems very much in line with what we know about the quote-unquote Proverbs 31 woman. Now, there's some debate there on is this to be understood as an actual woman. Uh, I totally understand all that. But I think that uh, what he's driving at in that passage, let's just take just a couple of examples here. 31.10, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. So there's even an interesting connection to what he's talking about jewels here. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will lack no gain. She does him good. And then you go on down to uh, Proverbs 31, 25. It asserts that uh, strength and dignity are her clothing. And then even later in that passage, she laughs at the time to come. And so this idea here is this, this robust woman who trusts in God who, who follows her husband. She's a good to him. She's a benefit to him. She's his cheerleader. And then he holds up Sarah as that um, uh, archetype for us to follow, so to speak. So I think practically speaking here, women, this would be my encouragement to you to, to understand that it's okay to wear okay clothes and makeup and braid your hair and all that. But that's not what's ultimate. What's ultimate is what does your heart look like? And again, what he is holding up here that held these women in the direction that they needed to go, it, it pointed them the way, it's their hope in God. So the encouragement to you would be, are you taking advantage of all the things that we have within this church and then beyond the church to cultivate your hope in God? I know because I live with the woman that leads our women's ministry. We talk regularly about the things that she's expounding right now from the book of Acts to the ladies and, and just how God is, is helping that group. My encouragement would be, hey, if you can't be a part of that at the time that it meets, all that stuff's being recorded now. So take full advantage of that. Jump on that. Listen to it. Uh, maybe you can show up at some point and, and engage with that in person or online right when it's happening. But whatever you can, take full advantage of the things that this church is doing to help cultivate your hope in God. Because as that happens, 
more and more of this is gonna take root and break out in your life. And that's what you want. Don't you want to be like Jesus? We all do. If we belong to Christ, we have that impetus within us from the Holy Spirit that is drawing us forward in that direction. Here's another practical thing. You know, there's actually a way to bring these two together. That you can work on your inner person while you're working on your outer person. And I'll just say at the front of here, I know this won't uh, work in every situation, but when you're standing there in the morning and uh, working on your hair and working on your makeup, doing whatever you do in your routine, you can spend at least a little bit of that time praying and thinking about, hey, as I put on this product or whatever, I want to be putting on these attributes of Christian character. Lord, just like I put on this foundation or whatever, Lord, help me put on patience and grace with my children today. Just as I put on this mascara, Lord, help me be able to love and encourage and pray for my husband today. Maybe that means you, you put a post-it note on your mirror or wherever you get ready in the morning. Whatever concrete ways that you can drive this home and bring these things together, I think that's going to serve you well because it brings together the outer person and the inner person that's ultimately going to matter, matter forever. And husbands, I would give you this encouragement too. Do whatever you can to help cultivate your wife's spirituality. If that means you need to keep the kids so that she can go do X, Y, Z, or you guys need to read the same book, uh, even if it's not really what you want to read at this point, it's what she's wanting to read. Sometimes there's situations like that. Hey, jump in there together. Work on this together. Pray with her. Do the things that are going to help cultivate her spirituality and her hope in God. Only good is going to come from that kind of loving leadership in your home. Now, speaking of which, there is one more thing that we need to say from this passage. And here in verse 7, this is where Peter begins to address the husbands specifically. Now you might say, Dustin, why in the world did he spend six verses talking to wives and one verse talking to husbands? <laughs> I don't know. But here's what I do know. That Peter was a good shepherd and he knew exactly who he was talking to. And there were probably some situations within that particular context that necessitated that he structured this passage the way that he did. And furthermore, I would say this, if you look at what Paul has to say uh, in Ephesians, for example, when he talks about these kinds of issues, uh, he does give a much more full treatment. And so when we get to heaven, we can ask Paul and Peter directly why they did what they did. But until then, we just have to trust that this scripture is as inspired as any of the rest of it. And we know that God had a plan and a purpose. And if this is the way it was structured, I'm sure there was good reason for it. So that being said, let's look at verse 7. And he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, <coughs> since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So third and final principle, husbands love and lead your wives in a way that honors her and honors God. Now, in many ways, I've been expounding this throughout this passage because I think if you want a wife to be able to do what God's calling her to do, the husband's going to have to do his part to help make that happen. 
But let's drill down just a little bit further here. When he talks about living with your wife in an understanding way. Now, the verb that he uses there uh, was specifically used for sexual relations between a husband and wife. Uh, But clearly, there are many implications beyond that. And so one of the things that I I liked, I picked up from Wayne Grudem here, he, he said it like this. He said, the knowledge Peter intends here Uh, may include knowledge that would benefit the husband and wife relationship specifically. Knowledge of God's purposes and principles for marriage, knowledge of the wife's desires, goals, and frustrations, knowledge of her strengths and weaknesses in the physical and emotional realms, and so on. So husbands, we need to become students of our wives. We need to know where she's strong, where she needs help, the things that uh, are annoying to her so that we might try to avoid them, the things that are going to push her buttons so that we try not to do that. We need to be able to figure out when does she need a little extra help here? When does she need uh, X, Y, Z? Whatever that situation is, we want to live with our wives in an understanding way. We want to be students of them. And also, part of why this needs to happen here, it says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And what it's talking about there, it doesn't mean in any way that the woman is uh, inferior and so on. That weaker vessel that it's talking about there probably means uh, physical strength. And this would have been even more obvious in a culture like Peter's because it was uh, the, the, the way their economy ran. And so he's saying, listen here, husbands, you need to pay special attention and and help this woman, care for her, uh, provide for her, assist her as needed. And I love what he has to say here, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. And so if there were ever any question, this is a very clear equality statement from this passage, that men and women are both created in the image of God and are both loved by God and purchased by Jesus. Uh, we put our faith and trust in Him. We, we, we are worth the same to Him. So any of this nonsense that you've been taught, uh, that the Bible is this misogynistic document and degrades women and so on and so forth, it's just not textually true. It's just false. And passages like this remind us of it that we are heirs together in the grace of life. And I love pointing that out because it it shows exactly why all of this matters. I mean, it matters for all the practical reasons, but it matters for the spiritual reasons as well. Husbands, this woman to which you were married, she is your sister in Christ. So treat her like it. Love her like it. Live with her in an understanding way. Lead her in such a way that reveals that this is your sister in Christ. And in addition, he also says here that you are to do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. And it's interesting because that uh, the your that is translated there, it's actually plural in the Greek. And so what it seems to indicate here is that husbands and wives need to pray together. Obviously, we're going to pray separately, but we need to pray together. And then on top of that, you don't want any unconfessed sin, any uh, shady patterns of living, any uh, subversion in the home to hinder 
the effectiveness of your prayers as they go to God. So all of this is very practical and very spiritually important. So husbands, let me ask this question of you. How is that going? Are you a student of your wife? Are you seeking to know her more and more so that you might be a greater help to her? Are you living with her in an understanding way? Second, are you showing honor to her as best you can? Are you assisting her in the ways that she needs help and asking her, hey, what would help you? What do you need? What can I do to help this family win with all that we've gotten, uh, all that we've got going on? Also, in light of what we talked about before, and especially because she is our, she's your sister, she's an heir to you in the grace of life. Are you doing everything that you can to encourage, to cultivate her spirituality, her relationship with God? And if not, what changes might need to be made? So when you, when you bring all this together, even though we spent a lot of time talking to wives, husbands, we have so much responsibility in leading in such a way that these things become actionable in her life, in our lives, and in the life of our family. And friends, when we see a passage like this, does this not just cry out of our deep need for Jesus? Wives, there's no way you can do this on your own. Husbands, there's no way we can do this on our own. But part of the good news of the gospel is, is that we don't have to. In that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, he died a substitute's death, and he gloriously rose again. And now through his Holy Spirit and his word, he empowers us within the context of our community to live out what this passage talked about. That God has been so gracious and so kind to us that he's taught us how to live and he's also given us a community in which we can flesh this out and we can live this out together. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to do these things that the text says to do. So here are the two questions that I wanna end this message with. What specifically is God writing on your heart today? There's plenty to discuss here, but what jumps out, what rises to the surface the most? And then what's your next step in that direction? You're not going to solve it all today, but what's the next step that he would have you take in this direction? Friend, let me go ahead and give you some good news up front. You're not going to take it alone. The Lord is with you. Your church is with you. Your community group is with you. We want to help you. We want to support you. We want to encourage you any way that we can. So let's begin that journey right now with praying about these very things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to sit under it this morning. I pray that it would shape us that it would change us, that it would challenge us, that it would encourage us, and that this week we would be more like Jesus than we were last week. We thank you for this time that we've had, and we pray all this in Jesus' good name. Amen.